Welcome to World Is Cool. This week, I chat with Becky McNeil. Becky is a newcomer to her community. She has lived many places, but now calls rural Nebraska home. Becky brings with her the unique perspective of finding herself starting over in a community as an adult. We talk about living in a rural community while her husband commuted to an urban area for work, how the pandemic impacted her relocation experience, and the difference between living in a rural and urban area. If you enjoy our conversation, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Well, good morning, Becky. How are you doing today? It's gray. I'm all right. Um, yeah, it's kind of kind of sloppy out there today. But I got to wear my um, I got to wear my rain boots that I bought at Baumgars. The city girl does the country girl thing, and I found these really cool rain boots that are black with um, hot pink flowers on them. And I wore those when we ran out to the Dodge dealership to drop off the truck here this morning. So I've done my, I've done my country girl in the rain thing. <laughs> I can't wait to see those boots. So Becky, I wanted to chat with you a little bit uh, today. Um, I know that you did not grow up in a rural community. So I think that you would probably have a pretty unique perspective on, on life out here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you ended up in the middle of nowhere or the middle of everywhere? <laughs> I grew up in Omaha. If North Central Omaha is rural, I grew up in Omaha, went to um, all the way through school there. And then um, when I left for college, I didn't really think about leaving home. It was just, you know, I, I, I wound up going to a church related school in Oklahoma. And I had experienced a call to ministry when I was in high school. And that was kind of unusual for a woman at, in the 1970s. Went to college in Oklahoma at a disciple, a Christian Church Disciples of Christ College, Phillips University. It's no longer in existence. Um, the graduate seminary exists, but the college was a, a victim of the 1980s economic situation. But from there, I went to seminary in Kentucky and and never really intended to be so far away from home but in ministry you accept a call where you're called and so i i went from seminary i went to um, language school in france in um, a small village in the massif central region of the mountains of france and from there went to do uh, ministry in Bolangi Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. So our house was on one side of the equator and the school we taught in was on the other side of the equator. So I can, and, and the river was in our front yard. So you can find where I lived in Africa by looking at a map and saying, well, there's the equator and there's the Congo River. And Becky lived on one side of the, of the equator and walked to the other to teach school. That so, is amazing. Yeah, but I mean, long story short, uh, my my uh, ex-husband, my first husband, um, had some mental illness issues as, as soon as we arrived in Zaire, and we didn't stay. It was cut way short, but it was still like a transformative, life-changing, world perspective, you know, whole different view of the world kind of experience. From there, we came back to the United States and um, served in ministry together in um, Paris, Illinois, which was the county seat town and um, community of about 9,000 people. And so we were there for three years and then, um, and lots of soybean farmers and corn, you know, the, the, the economy was 
agricultural, even though the town was a little bit bigger. From there, uh, Findlay, Ohio for nine years. And um, Findlay's, a, a, the, the county's about 60,000. So a bigger, you know, a, a, a much bigger place. Not as big as Omaha where I grew up, but not small. And, um, oh, when I was in seminary in Kentucky, I served a little church called the Sulphur Christian Church in Henry County. And that's the same county where Wendell Berry lives and has his farm and writes his poetry. And the town I served in, Sulphur, as you came around the corner and came into town, it said congested area. And they didn't even have a population number on it. So I was, <laughs> I was a pastor there for three years, but I lived in Lexington, in the city of Lexington and drove 80 miles on the weekends to go up to the um, Sulphur Christian Church where I was their pastor. Mostly it was Sundays only. And once in a while I'd stay overnight in that community. So I was there three years, then Zaire, then um, Paris, Illinois, then Findlay, Ohio for nine years. And then um, by that time I had come close to finishing my doctoral degree. I just had to finish writing my um, doctoral project. And I accepted a call to uh, Central Woodward Christian Church in Detroit. So major metropolitan area and um, served there for five years. Marriage ended while we were in Detroit, and it became pretty apparent that I couldn't take care of elderly parents in Omaha and raise three sons on my own in Michigan and have you know 800 miles between us. So um, I was able to return to Nebraska and came to Lincoln and served East Lincoln Christian Church for seven years as the pastor. Really enjoyed being close to family. My older brother lives in Lincoln and Uncle John was really important to my boys and, and helping them with some of the loss that they'd experienced. And my dad was really important to my boys and mom too. And then during the time that I was the pastor at East Lincoln, both my mom and dad passed away. So I was able to be close and work with my brother. And um, well, then I married Mike McNeil, met him so it'll be 10 years. Well, we, we were married 10 years ago. It'll be eight, 10 years on April Fool's Day. <laughs> got married. And I took a job at Child Saving Institute in Omaha. Uh, Child Saving Institute is a child welfare organization that's been in the state 130 years now. And I had been adopted through CSI. So it was kind of a homecoming for me. And I did planned giving for Child Saving Institute. And I traveled all over the country, mostly... Nebraska and visited with families that had adopted children through CSI over the years and were friends of the organization and encouraged them to support Child Saving Institute. So I remember very clearly being in Albion and, and a woman that I, that I met with lived in Albion. She was a sweetheart. And I remember being in Norfolk. So I'd been up to this part of the state some with my travels for Child Saving Institute, but I'd never been to Neely. I did that for five years and then felt a real call back into pastoral ministry and accepted a, an associate position. I thought at that point in my life, maybe it'd be fun to be an associate instead of being the senior pastor. So I was an associate for three years in Omaha, and that turned out not to be fun for a variety <laughs> of reasons. It was really not, not fun, not a, good, um, not a good situation. And when that became apparent that that was not working, we had moved to Omaha to, when, when I took the church position. So we'd been in Omaha three years again from Lincoln. And Mike was commuting. When I worked for CSI, I commuted from Lincoln to Omaha. And then we moved to Omaha and Mike commuted back to Lincoln. So we had, we had a decade of I-80 every day. And 
Mike yeah, that's, a, that's a lot of miles on a car. Yeah, it was a lot of miles on two different cars. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, a lot of miles on bodies too. It, it, it's taxing to drive that much. My work at Child Saving, when I commuted, I was also traveling a lot. So I wasn't always driving to Omaha. Sometimes I was fly, you know, sometimes I was driving to Omaha and then flying to California or, you know, so, so my work wasn't every day on the highway, but Mike's was, he worked at the university as a Macintosh computer technician. So we were, you know, he was two and a half years from retirement and our health insurance was through the university. And I wanted to continue in pastoral ministry but there aren't that many Christian Church Disciples of Christ congregations in Nebraska, but we're in a partnership with the United Church of Christ. Mike and I were going to the church where Katie Miller, who grew up here in Elgin, um, Katie's the associate at, Central, at First Central Congregational in Omaha. And that's where Mike and I wound up going to worship after my church position there ended. And Katie's cousin, Melanie, whom you've talked to on your podcast. Melanie and I had um, counseled camp together at Camp Kaleo one summer with Katie. And so we all knew each other. And Katie at coffee hour one day, Katie and her mom, Pat, uh, said, you know, Melanie's the chair of the search committee for for the congregational church in Neely. And there's another little rural church west of Elgin that are in a partnership together. Would you be interested? And why not? You know, let, let's, let's see. Neely was two and a half hours from Lincoln, but Mike was, you know, getting closer to retirement by then. And, you know, what if we have to do some sort of a commuter marriage for a while, at least I'd be doing pastoral ministry. And um, because I'd looked at other jobs, other secular positions, and I'm, I'm really called to pastoral ministry. I love being a pastor. And I didn't, I didn't want to give that up. So yeah, that's how we wound up in Neely. So Mike recently retired and and moved back to Neely or moved to Neely full time. So how long did you guys do the commuter? So April 1st, April Fool's Day is a big day in our lives because it was (laughs) April Fool's Day. It was April Fool's Day two years ago when I started as the pastor here in Neely and at um, Park Congregational outside of Elgin. And um, so Mike... We did the commute from April of 2019 through August of 2020. So he retired early. Um, he wasn't supposed to retire until January, just this past, you know, a couple months ago. But because of COVID, we just decided it was it was better. He could retire. August was a magic date for us because uh, he had started in August 10 years earlier at the university, and there were some benefits that kicked in at the 10-year mark. And so we just took the financial hit that came with him not having social security yet. And just, it was, you know, so several months of less income, but also not paying for an apartment in Lincoln, you know, that gas back and forth and gas back and forth. And he kind of, he kind of wanted not to be at the university around several, several thousand young university students who might be carrying COVID-19. Right. You know, being and, being near retirement age, he thought it might be wiser, you know. So we just made the decision. He retired. Know, every, everything always plays out how it's supposed to, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know that. I don't, I don't, I don't think so, Michael, but. 
<laughs> we're going to talk about theology some other time. You know, I don't think it always plays out the way it's supposed to, but I think I think you can make decisions and work work them for good. So you've lived all over. Um, you have seen a lot of diversity. Rural Nebraska is not necessarily the most diverse place. So how do you bring that experience into your congregation, into your daily life? The diversity I've lived shapes who I am. So when I am somewhere, who I am, how I am is reflective of that experience. So I think probably in my preaching and in the questions I raise in my congregations, some of that different perspective, wider perspective, it plays, it plays in, you know, it's, it, it's part of how I view the world. And so um, you might want to ask my church members, they, you know, <laughs> because they, they would know what's different about what I do as opposed, you know, for me, it's, it's integral to who I am. I share stories, you know, I share stories about when I was in Zaire, or I share stories about growing up in North Omaha, you know, so I grew up in a racially integrated neighborhood that at the time I thought was normal. But now as, as, as an adult reflecting back, the neighborhood I grew up in was unique, but I didn't know it was unique. And so looking at, at my own blindness to some racism that I didn't recognize in part because I lived in an area where we were integrated and my, but it was this small little neighborhood in Omaha that was unique at the time. And I didn't recognize that at the time that it was unique because it was what I grew up with. So, you know, so I tell stories that reflect some of that. Um, You've lived in some very big areas and some pretty small areas, and now you're in a really small area. What do you see are the biggest differences? Aside from that, there's no Walmart, there's no Target. You know, what are are the differences you see in, in the people in your experiences I think maybe the first thing that I have really noticed is that people in rural areas, and and see, I I hate to speak, um, that this may or may not be true, you know, (laughs) it's my my perception, right? Right, And and what I perceive may may not be the case at all. And the other thing is my experience of this rural area is really colored by the fact that we've been in COVID-19 for a year. So, you know, so I got here April 1st, a year, two years ago, and I, and I had that first, I had almost a full year here, but we were still commuting back and forth to Lincoln, you know, so I was two days a week in Lincoln and then up here. And so my time actually being here in Neely full time has all happened during COVID. So how much is, how much are my experiences shaped by what it means to be a community living through a pandemic and how much is what's truly um, uh, the experience of living in a small town. And I, I don't think I can, I can't separate those out. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's a way to untangle that. I need to live into the next two or three years here. And and then I'll have forgotten what it's like to live in an urban area. So (laughs) that's not there, Mike. No, that, that is, that, that is a interesting take on it that, that I wouldn't necessarily thought about, you know, so, so I've been in 
Um, I had to make a trip to Lincoln during the pandemic it's in, in the last few months. I made a trip to Omaha for um, an appointment. And the way that the city was handling the pandemic versus how we are out here, kind of, you know, we're, we're a little more separated, was very different. It was very eye-opening to me. Yeah, I, I, I say that a week ago, two weeks ago, I wrote a prayer of lament. Um, I just was, I was just lamenting, you know, and, and um, thinking about the psalmists and, and the psalmists prayers of lament. And I wrote my own prayer of lament and I ended it. I feel I'm a stranger in a strange land. Is, is the strange land Antelope County or is the strange land Antelope County in COVID-19? Is the strange land COVID-19? You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to, how to shoosh that out. I think, I mean, my, my perception is that people in a small place hold their cards very close to the vest. You know, my, my perception is that, that more people are more reserved here than they are in the city. In, the, in, in a city, you can disagree with people and you still have plenty of other people. Right. You can hold different views and you still can't, you know, you can go to a church where um, people's ideas are very conservative or people's ideas are very progressive based on whatever, wherever you are. Um, and then, you know, you somebody knowing you're progressive or somebody knowing you're conservative doesn't mean that when you go to the bank, it's going to affect how things are at the bank or, you know, it, you can hold different views and you can still go shopping you know, without, but, but in a small town, you have to be careful in a way to preserve your privacy so that you can continue to do good, do business with everyone in the community. There's, there's uh, the, the stakes are higher, I think in a small town. In, in a city, you can be the, the nail that sticks up and people aren't going to be as determined to pound you down in, in a way, but, but, but in a small area, there's, there's a legitimate need to be a little more guarded, which is not my personality. I am not guarded, which has caused me no end of grief in my life. <laughs> I, um, I, I am in that exact same boat. <laughs> Uh, if, if I could count the number of times that, that I'm like, oh, did I just say that? But, you know, that's one of the adjustments that I haven't made as well. And, and there's no way I could have articulated it the way you, you did. But I tend to still run my mouth and I, I tend to still, you know, this is my view. And, but I, I've learned that you just have to compartmentalize that, right? So you and I might not agree on Coke versus Pepsi. We, that can be our, 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 our biggest challenge, but I can set that aside and know the other nine great things that you do and, and great things about you and, and kind of push that one little piece over. That's what I've learned in my experience of living in a city versus the, the rural areas is, is there's a little more compartmentalization. You know, when, when I interviewed 
up here, it was at the Park Church, the the um, Park Church. If you don't, if your viewers, your viewers, if your listeners <laughs> don't know, um, Park Church is ten miles west of Elgin, and um, it's just a little country church, and it's it's just the sweetest little church, and the people are so much fun, and they're really lively and um, vibrant, and we're probably quite different. And they said in the interview, they said, "Now you've lived all over. Most of us have never lived anywhere else." Are you going to be happy here? And um, that's a really good interview question. It was a, it was, it was really a great question, and I was so impressed that they asked it. You know, I was really impressed that they asked it. And what I said was, well, I think if we can, if we can believe the best about each other, if we can believe that we all come to our life at, of faith and to our work in the church with a desire to be loving. You know, if, if we can be, if we can believe the best of each other's motives, then we can understand that we may have differences of opinion because of our life experience. But if we can give each other the grace of intending the best, then we can begin to listen to each other and learn from each other without being threatened by each other's views and understanding if we're all intending the best and I do you know I I I really I feel you know I, I've just seen it in my time here that um, people intend the best well and I and I think we all want the in, in that same vein right I, I think we all want the same end result we just don't always agree on how to get there it, it it's like it's like my husband and I go into uh, going to town I always go one direction. He always goes the other, but we always end up at the same place, you know? Right. And, and there's a million ways to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Right. Right. And, and I think that's a lot of, of where we're at and just being open to having the conversation and being open to maybe listening to somebody else's ideas and, and compromising a little bit. I think that's where the challenge comes is I, I think that people are so used to playing their cards close to the vest that, that maybe we've not had enough experience holding those important conversations in a way that it can feel safe to people to have those conversations. So they may talk with each other at the dinner table at home, or they may talk with their buddies at Cubby's drinking coffee, but how do you talk with people that don't share your views? And, and, I, and I, think, I think it's just something that, maybe hasn't been practiced. But I don't know that that's rural only. I think the stakes are higher rural, but our whole nation doesn't know how to talk to each other. You know, I, I always joke that the, the worst thing we ever did was teach people not to talk about um, sex, religion, and politics. Yes. Because we don't know how to talk about that outside, right. of, our, outside of our circle. Absolutely, um, yeah. To change gears just a little bit, moving from all these great places you've lived to a town that has one grocery store. Neely's lucky, lucky enough to have two gas stations. <laughs> um, I think there's two bars. How does that affect this life of mobility that you're used to? Even, you know, when you were living between Lincoln and Omaha and, and go out along the interstate, there's 24 hour, everything there's convenience there's, and now you live in a, a community that, that works 830 to four. So do you know that the nearest traffic light is 25 miles in either direction? 
I didn't. I did know though that if there was, maybe, it's more maybe like thirty-five. I think it's thirty-five. Like the nearest traffic light is O'Neill, Neely, or Albion. Um, I did know when I lived in I lived in Omaha for several years after high school, and if I went home through Sioux City, there wasn't a complete stop. I never had to hit a stop sign <laughs> or a stoplight because you'd go up the interstate to Sioux City and then take uh-huh. Highway 20 across, and there was I would never have to turn my cruise control off. I would just have to hit the the slow down and speed up on my cruise control. <laughs> so Mike and I, you know. Uh, a couple funny stories. So one is I drove our Toyota. We went to the, um, had to go up to the Dodge dealer today because we bought a camper and the, um, our new, our truck, we bought a used, a used pickup truck. So now we're, we're country, we're country. <laughs> we have country credibility. We have a pickup truck, yeah. but we bought the pickup truck. I mean, I love it for a variety of reasons because there are things that you need a pickup truck for in a small town that in the city you don't need. Like how do you do your limbs when the limbs come down on the tree? You throw it in the back of the truck and take it to the tree dump. Wait, but at, in this, Omaha, at the city, you stick it on the curb and it magically disappears. Yes. So there are reasons you need a truck in, yep. in, in a more rural area. But then we also had a dream of buying a camper and a, a little camper. And so we bought the truck. And then this past week, we, we found the camper we've been looking for for five years. It's this beautiful little tab camper. It's a tiny I, little food prop. It is so um, cute. <laughs> it is so cute. It is really cute. But um, yeah, so the, the, the pickup isn't sensing the brakes on the camper. And so we, we had to take the truck in this morning to have that looked at. And I, so I had to drive our little Toyota to pick Mike up. Right. But it's raining and the Toyota was Mike's car for, for um, commuting. And we sold my Mazda that I had commuted in all those years. And we sold it, traded it when we got the truck. Well, we got the truck in September and you know, where are we going? And like even Park Church, we didn't commute to Park Church for most of the winter because we were in COVID. So we were doing things on Zoom. And so I'm in the Toyota driving us home and I couldn't figure out the, um, the windshield wipers, you know, it was like <laughs> pouring and I'm dinking with the windshield wiper. And Mike said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know this car. I, <laughs> I haven't driven this car. You know, it was your car for commuting. And I, I knew my Mazda, but nothing's instinctual to me because I haven't driven that car. And I don't know the truck either. I don't know either of our vehicles because we just haven't driven anywhere. Is that because it's, I, that's more COVID than, than well, and, and, but, where you live on the end of Main Street, everything's within walking distance. Yeah, we walk to the grocery store most of the time. I walk to the library. I walk to the bank. Like one, one time last, I was the first summer I was here. And it was like, I, this morning, my, and I posted it on Facebook, you know, my errands this morning. I went to the bank. I went to the pharmacy. I went to the farmer's market. And I came on home and I've walked two and a half blocks. <laughs> You know, that's, that's wonderful. The other fun, it's, I think this is funny, is that Mike and I, for a date night now, we'll get in the car, we'll get in the truck and drive to O'Neill and go through the drive through at McDonald's. And that's our big treat is getting McDonald's <laughs> French fries. And it's like, oh, we went on a date. Yeah, <laughs> but, it, you know, how much of that is rural and how much of that is COVID? Well, you know, I, I think that that's, It's a good mix of both, but, you know, I I was chatting with somebody and, and we were talking about, you know, when, when you lived in the city, there was 
all the movies and all the concerts and all this stuff to do. And then, but what do you really do? You, you sit at home and you watch Netflix and you go to the grocery store and you go to the bank and the library and, and you could do that in any town, you know? Well, and the internet has been such a gift. And, and I know broadband is, is your issue, you know, here it's, in. So, it's one of my so, babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here in, so Mike and I, we just use a hotspot for our internet. And that was, that was one of the perks that was worth him working until his 10 years were completed at the university because we get to keep our phone plan through the university and um, the phone plan, we're able to buy a hotspot for $10 a month. And so I have a hot, I have a hotspot on my phone and Mike has a hotspot on his phone and that's how we do internet. Um, so our, our internet costs us $20 a month, but um to be able to visit with people and to be with to be with friends through zoom and then like church through zoom and we're learning some things like do you remember in um the music man the the musical the music man and they go oh the wells fargo wagon is a coming down the street you know uh, i was in that when i was 10 so (laughs) i had one line papa papa the wells fargo wagon is just coming in from the station Uh, actually i had two lines but i saw the wells fargo wagon now i get it you know it's like (laughs) ups is coming i wonder if they have something for me and um groceries i'm on i'm on a fairly um, restricted diet i have an autoimmune disorder and so eating an anti-inflammatory way of eating has really helped me regain health and 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 feel good again but there are a lot of things that i just can't get here in town so we do as much shopping as much grocery shopping as we can in town because we want to support the local merchants but i've also found um an online grocer called it's called thrive but i'm i'm able to order the things that i can't get here you know white or or brown rice flour and you know just some things that that i can eat so so we we get a thrive order every couple three weeks yeah i i've been surprised at some of the random goodies that i'm used to from you know the whole foods and the trader joe's and the the, you know, like Bob's Oats. I really like the Bob's Mill brand Oats. Yeah. And I was in a grocery store the other day and I just looked over and I was like, huh. And it was, in, yeah, it is in, in the middle of our small town grocery store. Our grocery store has the best pork and beef. This, this little town, the, the, the pork and beef is wonderful. We're eating more of it than we ever did. But, <laughs> but but seafood, you know, like I love salmon and salmon was kind of a staple in our diet. And it's a little harder to find salmon. Yeah, you, you probably have to get to at least Norfolk to get that. And it's probably still not super fresh. Right. So what overall, COVID aside, do you think has been the biggest challenge of moving from an urban area to a rural area? Developing friendships. Okay. I think when you're in a place where most people are from there, the people who have not moved much don't know how lonely it is for people who aren't from there. You know, I, I, I think it's, it's a, if, you, if, you, if you live where you have cousins and siblings and parents and the people you went to school with and you've just always known everybody, I, I don't think you can, I, 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 it, it's a, it's a, um, it's a rare person 
who is able to see a newcomer and say, oh, they need to be welcomed. You know, and so it's not that people are unwelcoming, it's that people don't know how lonely it is not to be from here. I 100% agree. And I'm from the community that I live in, yeah. but I left for 20 years. Yeah. So yeah. it was coming back and knowing faces, but not knowing the people, not knowing the, the person behind that face. Yeah. So I, I 110% agree that that is very difficult. And you would, th- and you would think we would, we would just flock to the new person, you know, like, like, like in high school when a new kid came, everybody flocked to him. But as adults, we don't do that. No, no. And, and, and I, that, that is not, that is not unique to this small area. You know, that, that's the story across anywhere where people are of a community that they have been a part of for a very long time. You know, I've, I experienced that not in Detroit In Detroit, I was able to make friends easily, which, you know, people think, oh, you lived in that great big city. And you know, how intimidating must that be? It's like, well, there's a lot of people that aren't (laughs) from there. And so, and so people are like, oh, you know, welcome. And, and there's a, there, the insularity of a smaller place. There are some barriers that are hard to break. What has been the biggest reward of living in a smaller community? And again, you have to kind of take COVID out of that and, and you know, look through it through maybe a little, little bit of rose-colored glasses maybe or. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it is hard to take COVID out of it. A year ago, 4th of July, our first 4th of July here, you know, and Mike was, Mike was here. Um, he didn't have to head back to Lincoln right away. And we were able to, you know, the parade was right here by our house. You know, people, <laughs> we, we, we pulled the lawn chair from our backyard and went over to the, the street on the side of the church and, you know, and, and the parade and the guy who goes, the, the, the bull in the, in the guy who's got the bull with the huge longhorn, you know, the longhorn bull in his truck driving down main street. Oh my word. That was incredible. Yes, that is. Yes, that's one word for that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the whole parade and then the whole day, um, you know, the the trolley that took us out to Fred Penn Park and the fireworks and and just watching the town pull together for um, for that and and the first Christmas that we were here and the the lighting of the lights on the courthouse lawn and. You know, those things are just, they're Americana, they're, um, it's, it's just, it's just fun. And it's, it's simple, more basic pleasures. Well, and, and I think those are things that people who haven't lived here for a hundred years take a little more to heart than the people who have lived here for a hundred years. Because, you know, like for us, it's new and it's, it's, for, for 20 years, I didn't have things like that. There wasn't a lighting of the park and a 4th of July parade that had everybody from the firemen to Jim Bob's tractor. Whereas as here, that, that's kind of a staple. You know, I, I always love when, when there's a parade or a celebration or something like that of posting that on Facebook or, or sharing it on Snapchat or something with my friends in the city. And they're like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, when I, I posted, you know, I posted the parade and I got so many likes from my friends, you know, all over the, 
I, I have, I have my, my brother says, you have so many Facebook friends. And it's like, I've lived so many places, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a benefit to having lived a lot of places, but then there's the, you know, then there's the loss of leaving those friends behind every, every time you move. But, Which now though, with the internet, I have found that I have been able to keep in contact with, with the closest of my friends from from Houston and from North Carolina. And it, it's neat to be able to, to still watch and see and communicate. And and it's one of the, the amazing things about the time we live in. I, I, this, the, the internet is, and, and do you remember, maybe I'm older than you are, the Jetsons, <laughs> did, you, did you watch yeah. the Jetsons as yeah. a kid? You know, yeah. and, and the, like they would talk to each other and you go, oh, they're talking to each other on a video screen. You know, it's like, whoa. And we're talking to each other today on a video, a video screen. screen you, know? you have lived all over. You've moved to cities. You've moved to rural areas. You've commuted. You've What is the, the best piece of advice you can think to give somebody that is moving into a community that they might not be familiar with? I think understand that people are people, that people, people love uh, being kind. You know, the, the vast majority of people are kind and want to be good neighbors. The vast majority of people want good for you as much as for themselves. You know, the, the vast majority of people are unselfish and um, people are glad that somebody has chosen to move into their town. You know, it's, it, speaks, it speaks of the value of our town when somebody else wants to move in. So most people are going to want to welcome you, but also to, um, to, to observe, to really pay attention. You know, pay, pay attention to the way people relate to each other. Pay attention to the way people communicate with each other because it may be different and it's not necessarily better or worse. You know, try not to try not to judge, oh, this is bad, or you know, try try to come at it with an open mind and understand the systems that are at play and the the customs. Customs develop for a reason and over time. And some of the things that might not make any sense to you. You know, there may come a time where it, it does make sense. In Detroit, kids didn't walk to school. You know, kids just didn't walk to school. In the, we lived in Royal Oak, the suburb of Detroit, and nobody walked to school. I was used to walking my kids to school and it was so strange. It was like, well, it's Motor City, so we have to be in a car and, and there weren't safe crosswalks for the kids. It was really, it struck me as really bizarre. And then I learned that back in 1974, some child had been abducted and murdered walking home from school in that area. And that that incident from 30, 40, 40 years earlier shaped the community. And no, you know, and people were just like shocked that I would let my children walk to school. What kind of a mother lets her children walk to school? Well, a mom that didn't grow up with the fear of that community when that child was missing and then eventually found murdered. You know, so so most of the time when there's a when there's a cultural, when there's something cultural happening that we don't understand, it's because we just don't have all the information yet. And often it's been so ingrained into the community that the community doesn't even recognize it. You know, they they don't see that what they do is unusual because it's usual for them. So when you're a newcomer. You have to be willing to listen and withhold judgment and learn. So it'll be fun to see 
how once we get, you know, enough people vaccinated and and we get on the other side of this pandemic, how your ideals of a small town change a little bit to to see how you either come to love or or rue the day that you move to to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I don't I don't think I don't I don't think we'll I don't think we'll rue it. I you know I don't I don't think that. I don't know whether we'll decide to retire in a small town. Or whether, you know, we don't, we don't know what we'll do when, when I'm ready to retire. We don't have any real idea other than we've got a camper now. We're going to pull a little <laughs> camping. So I, I want to make sure that I thank you for your time. It, it has been a pleasure chatting with you and, and kind of getting to know a little bit more about your background. Uh, I definitely learned some stuff today and I, I hope uh, everybody listening hope, learns a little bit today too. Thank you, Mike. This is fun. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Oral is Cool. There are many more great conversations to come. Hitting the subscribe or follow button will help make sure you don't miss any. If there's someone you think I should talk to, send me an email at ruraliscoolpod at gmail.com. I truly enjoy meeting rural people and helping tell their stories. This episode was produced by Brian Ferris. The artwork is by Casey Schott. Do me a favor and be sure to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This helps more people like you find us. Until next time, remember, rural is cool.